0: Thank you, Miss Meg. Meg will be here after if you wanna listen. She'll play all day if you let her. So and that's a good thing. So thank you, Miss Meg. Well, I invite your attention this morning to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, if you have your Bible, your tablet, your smartphone, your smartwatch, or just your Bible, uh, that works too. So God is good, but I invite you to Mark chapter 10. As you're turning there, I just want to make mention, some of you have asked how you can give specifically to Doug uh, Hager, who's going back a second time to uh, go to Florida area help with disaster relief. Uh, If you want to make a check out to to Tower View and then put in the memo, uh, to the memo, put Doug Hager. Uh, There is a designated account we have for Doug to help serve with that or if you have any extra cash you'd like to give, please bring it by. We'd be glad to get that for you uh, as we uh, support our brother as he goes and pray for Miss. Uh, just just pray for all the opportunity he has there, uh, and Miss Cindy as well here, because Cindy, you are a true I don't know where you're at, Cindy, uh, Cindy's always in the same spot, I should know this, but Cindy, we're praying for you as well, thank you for letting your husband go and serve, but if you would like to give to Doug, just make that out to the church and put Doug in the memo, and we'll take care of it from there as well. All right, well, Mark chapter 10, and I, I confess to you, these last three weeks have been very tough topics. Uh, we have talked in our, our planning for the service, uh, how do you pick songs about divorce? You know, uh, 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 Thankfully, there's not songs that we're singing about that, right? But at the same time, this is a very necessary but tough topic. In fact, uh, few issues have caused me more grief in my young pastorate and soul-searching and study than what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage. Because with divorce being so common in our day, many pastors ignore it or avoid the subject to keep from hurting feelings and causing conflict. And the same last week with our study of of hell, 15 realities about hell. These are things that as we go through the scripture verse by verse, we can't just skip over. We can, but that would not be good for you. So we come to this topic, I pray, soberly. We come to this topic, I pray, seriously, but, but needing to be refreshed and informed. Because some believe the Bible is no longer relevant on this issue. There are, there are no-fault divorces. There are, uh, there, there's living together. There's all these things. But one cannot deny that the church as a whole has a dismal and embarrassing track record on this issue of divorce and remarriage. Many believers are casual about divorce as they are about going to Taco Bell on a Sunday afternoon remarriage as as well as their lost friends and neighbors are. And they proudly say, I have the right to be happy. Or I have a right to do what I want to do. Never mind that bodies, not literally, but bodies symbolically are strewn everywhere, especially the children, and that happiness is even more elusive for those in the subsequent marries, marriages. Grass is not always greener on the other side, is it? Come to our house, I can tell you that's true, trust me. But say what you want, because our lawn is terrible, is what I mean by that. <laughs> Some of y'all are thinking, what? We have a brown grass in our yard. Come over and help us mow it. But say what you want. The facts are hard to deny, aren't they? Y'all are going to be thinking about that the whole time now. This is a tough issue. And we as a church have not done a good job with this. In fact, divorce, we now know, is even more traumatic, it's said, than losing a spouse or a parent by death. Uh, John Piper, a now-retired pastor, said, quote, Death is usually a clean pain, but divorce is usually a dirty pain. I think that encapsulates it well. It's dirty and destructive. In fact, one million U.S. children annually, according to the stats, will see their parents divorce. And the divorce rate, as you know, whether you take the stats of being Christian or not, but generally speaking, the divorce rate for the church is not much better. It's usually about one out of two Christians divorce in the church as those outside of the church. Divorce is not usually the problem, though, is it? The root of the problem, the fruit of the problem, is a life of self-centeredness. The problem is that people go into marriage looking for someone or something to complete them and make them happy, and when their spouse stops doing that or they find someone better or more attractive, they get divorced. And this is why in Malachi 2.16, and we'll study this in a moment, but it's up on the screen, and you'll see this when Amy, it's there, and I won't read it all, but it says, God speaking, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. So why do so many couples divorce? I submit that the problem is at the beginning and not the end. Many couples enter marriage unadvisedly. They enter marriage because they should not even be getting married in the first place. And one of the questions I will ask at premarital counseling is, what makes you think that your relationship has matured to such a point that you're now ready for the commitment of marriage? And by asking that question, we're making a statement. Marriage is for grown-up people who developed a grown-up relationship who are ready for a grown-up commitment. You should absolutely not get married if you're not ready for the lifelong commitment with all its ups and downs, right? At the same time, while many couples marry prematurely, many also divorce prematurely. Again, there's no-fault divorces, citing irreconcilable differences. She liked this sports team. I like this food. You know, it it gets silly. But as a result, there's not one person in here who's not been affected by a divorce. Your parents, your aunts, your uncles, your sister-in-law, your brother, your your own kids, your grandkids. And you may be the innocent party whose marriage was broken by a spouse's sinful choices, and that is a reality. Children tear up a home, but adults break a home. So what does Jesus think about all this? I mean, what does he have to say on the question of divorce? This is not something we usually go to, but is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And we'll get there, but today's big idea, the whole summary of the sermon is this. Jesus' view is that one, sex is for marriage, two, marriage is for life, and three, marriage is for one man and one woman. That's what we believe. God says he hates divorce because it tells the world a lie about his love. When we divorce because we are no longer getting along with our spouse or because we're no longer happy, we tell the world that God's love is like that. That God loves us based upon how sufficiently we meet his needs. And the divorce problem we have in the church isn't as bad just for our families. It's feeding the world a deadly deceit. Marriage is supposed to be a picture, isn't it? And we sang about this just a minute ago of, of the bride, Christ, uh, Christ and his bride, the church. But all I can say is that Jesus has all kinds of irreconcilable differences with you and me, and he doesn't break up with us. Praise God for that. But he loved us anyway, and through his persistent grace, he changes hearts. And now we get the chance to demonstrate God's love in our marriages in a way as we serve our spouse. Couples don't fall out of love, they fall out of repentance. They don't falter in their passion for each other, they falter in their worship of God. And let our generation be the one that reverses that trend as we go through. So Mark 10 today, it's a heavy passage, but what we're going to do is we're going to do what we did the last couple weeks. This is not how we usually preach, but I want to survey the Bible, three things this morning. I want to do a survey of the key text about divorce, just very briefly, give some comments about them. And secondly, we'll summarize those texts and take the basic takeaways. What does this tell us about what the Bible says about divorce? And then thirdly, concluding with some application. Now, I want you to put yourself in the preacher's shoes for just a moment, if you will, okay? There are a couple challenges when you preach on this topic. One challenge is that there are so many legitimate approaches to take on this topic. I could make a warning and say, marriage is sacred, remember your vows. Jesus never encouraged a divorce, so don't do it. We could preach that way. We, we really will because the weight of the New Testament falls on the side of warning about divorce. But I could also use this sermon to talk about God's compassion for those who've been hurt in marriage or those left behind in marriage or those who've been sinned against in marriage. That's another viable option. But I could also take a more theological approach and try to explain the acceptable grounds for divorce and remarriage. We'll touch on that a little bit. And I wish I could go deep. And you may be asking, well, what about my situation? Is this legitimate? Is this not legitimate? Is this something? You come talk to Nelson or myself, Pastor Nelson or myself. This, it's not the time to cover every topic. But what we can do this morning is provide you what the Bible says. It's not up to you to make that interpretation of what the Bible says. It will be very plain what it says. But it's up to us, as with all things, to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word also. So, with that in mind, would you join me in standing uh, this morning as we read God's word, if you're able, as we do. Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And uh, uh, just so you know, those of you who are keeping track, we are still on point to finish up by November 2019 with the book of Mark. Amen? But this was going to be two sermons. I bowled it to one. You can thank me later. But... uh, Praise God for all things. Let's read God's word this morning. Mark chapter 10, this is what it says. And he, that's Jesus, left there, that, that was the region they were at, and, and, and went to the region of Judea. And beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again, and, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up in order to test him, and asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, well, what did Moses command you? Verse 4, they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote to you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, as a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house of the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he, he asked, said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery as well. The hard thing this morning as we look at this passage is not to ignore this. Don't ask about it. Don't tell about it. Let's just be, let this be the big elephant in the church room. But today, I pray we can apply what God's Word says to what our situations are as we go forward. It's a tough issue, but it's a necessary one. This is why we believe God's Word is sufficient. So will you pray with me as we start this morning? Father? As we come before you on a longer introduction about a tough topic. Thank you that your Word really is sufficient for all matters of faith and practice as we believe. There's nothing that we're going to study today, Lord, that is not applicable to some way, shape, or form in the situations in this room. Whether the divorce has happened, whether it could happen, whether someone's getting married, whether someone is, is just praying about all these things, Lord, give us grace. We thank you for it. Thank you that Jesus spoke to this. He didn't leave us hanging in the dark. Thank you that your word allows us a glimpse into your mind and your heart, Lord. And thank you that you have never divorced us. Thank you that, that no one can snatch us out of your hand, that nothing can separate us from your love, even when those irreconcilable differences of our sin and our lies would make it seem or think so. Thank you for your holding grace to us, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm going to ask you, you uh, keep your thumb in Mark chapter 10. You need to hold that spot. But I want to remind you that we're going to be flipping a lot. And because of the length of the passage and your eyesight and my eyesight, you're going to flip with me because I can't put it all up on the screen or you're going to need like a telescope is how small that would be. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me, hold Mark and go to Genesis chapter 2 verses uh, 18 through 25. Genesis chapter 2 verses 18 through 25. Now, Jesus, of course, as he's moving through Mark 10, he is, he's entering the final months of his ministry, and, and the, the, the Pharisees are gonna, not going to let him go before they get a couple quick questions back. But I want to give you the survey of the key text, and, and the study just demands that we do so in a way that honors God. And so as you're turning to, Mark, or to Genesis chapter 2, I want you to know as well that in Jesus' day, there was a big question about divorce. There was a the school of Shammai that said you could divorce only when, when someone cheats on you, it, sexual immorality. There was a conservative group who said you can divorce only when that happens. But then there were the liberal Jews who said, man, if your wife cooks you a burnt grilled cheese, you can take her to court from that and separate her from that, you know? Some of y'all are looking for that. You're like, man, no, don't do that. That's not good. But you have to understand that all of them agreed on these passages we're going to get to, but they all had different interpretations. So Jesus comes on the scene, and he's going to clear up the mud and make it very clear what he teaches. So he takes them back first off to Genesis chapter 2, and listen to verses 18 through 15 as we read. And it says this, uh, Moses recording this. It says, uh, I'm in chapter 1, that's not good. Let's go to chapter 2, and it says this way. Then the Lord God said it is not good that man should be alone I will make him a helper fit for him Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them And whatever the man called every living creature that was what its name was Verse 20 the man gave names to the livestock and to the birds and the field but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on him And while he slept, he took out of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib the Lord took out, God had taken from the man, he made woman, and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed." Now, some of you are note takers. I will send these out later, but I will put some different things up. But, but what we learn from this very quick passage is, is, is very straightforward. Marriage is a good gift that God gives us to, to enjoy. It is a good gift. We should enjoy marriage. Secondly, marriage reflects our union with Christ and his church. Amy, you can just skip down to the Genesis 2 slide. That's fine. No worries. We'll just go ahead and skip to the very, very next slide. And and thirdly, as Jesus never divorces us, we should never divorce our mate. That's what he tells us to do. And, Amy, you can just put them all up. That's fine. This is what we learn. So how did we get so far from this to where we are today? I mean, if this is what we believe, then why did we get so far off track? I mean, it didn't take very long. They were all doing these things, even from the very beginning of time. And Jesus told them in Mark 10 it was because of their hardness of heart. Again, we'll get these notes to you as we go through. I'm going to invite you to the next passage of Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24. Just go a couple books to your right. Flip your phone. Keep going. I tell it, Look these up later as well. But I want you to see where the, they were arguing against Jesus. You need to see this passage. This is coming, of course, from the Old Testament law. And this is a very straightforward reading of God's word. But as you're flipping there, Deuteronomy chapter 24, and I'll read in verse 1 to verse 4. When a man takes his wife and marries her, if she then finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, and if she departs out of the house, verse 2, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and later the man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, sends her out of the house, Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, verse 4, who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she had been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring the sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you an inheritance. The summary of that is simply this. Though the Bible condones divorce, it does recognize the reality of divorce. That is what we can see out of this. This this bill of divorce provided a regulation and a concession for the protection and the welfare of an innocent victim. Uh, a woman who was put away, as you know in history, would probably starve to death in that culture, would, would, would be alone and would have trouble finding that it is there. But remarriage, according to this in the New, uh, Old Testament, to a former spouse was strictly forbidden. All right, are you ready to go to the next one? Got your Bibles ready? This is like that old Bible drill. Some of y'all remember that. It's like you flip your pages really fast. Go to Ezra chapter 10, just a few books to the right. Ezra chapter 10. And I want to show you something because this comes up in discussion a lot. And I promise you our study will yield you a lot of good things. We'll just have to walk through the Bible this morning. Thank you for your patience. This is not our usual MO. But it is good for us to see what the Word of God says. Ezra chapter 10, verse is 2 to 4. Ezra two, 10, 2 to 4. Ezra is after uh, the book of Chronicles. It's uh, before Nehemiah. So first, second Chronicles, then Ezra. Here's what God's Word says. While Ezra prayed, I'll start in verse 1, and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel and for the people he wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jezheel, one of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra, verse 2, We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women and the peoples of the land. But even now there's hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make covenant with our God to put away our wives and their children according to the counsel of the Lord and those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. And if you'll go down to verse 10 of chapter 10, this is what Ezra the priest said after they came out of uh, captivity. Verse 10, And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increase the guilt of Israel. Now make confession and to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so. We must do as you have said. Wait, this seems odd, doesn't it? Wait, is Ezra commanding them to mass divorce? I mean, there's that old show Divorce Court. It might still be around on reruns somewhere. I mean, he went before them, and he's telling them now to mass exodus, divorce everyone? That seems a little bit odd. Well, positively, this is what we know. This is the summary of it is that mass divorce, because divorce, is a lesser evil, if you will. God hates divorce, but he hates idolatry worse. And these people had been so idolatrous that they had married the the, the nations he told them not to. So in its best light, this is eliminating the greater of the two evils. Defilement through mixed marriage would lead to idolatry. It's a tough text. This doesn't mean you're going to come up here, we're going to start a divorce court in our church, and all of a sudden we're just going to say, put away your wives. That's not what's being said. This was a very special time and there's very special providence as God goes. All right, now go over to the last book of the Old Testament. We're testing your Bible skills this morning. Malachi chapter 2, Malachi chapter 2. And I want you to go to Malachi chapter 2 and verse 13. If you've gone to the book of Matthew or book of Mark, go back to, to the last book of the Old Testament Malachi chapter 2. I want you to see what the prophet says as we make our way to the New Testament. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Malachi 2, 13 through 16. And it says, and the second thing God's speaking, you do. You cover the altars with tears and with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord has between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she, your companion, and your wife by covenant. Did he not make one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Verse 15, and what was the one God seeking? He was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourselves in the Spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Verse 16, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord God, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, and says... Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. What do we learn from this? Very, very simply, God hates divorce. It is never his perfect will at all. These are pretty tall words, aren't they? These are very tall words indeed. Now, I want you to go, as we go to the New Testament, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 19. I want to take you to Jesus' other account of the same story we're reading in Mark 10 this morning. Go to Matthew 19, and I think this will open up a little bit more. One book to the right, Matthew chapter 19 this morning. Matthew 19, 1 through 12. As you're turning, I'll, I'll read for sake of time, and you can catch up as you get there. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him, saying, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife? Let me stop right here. The, this is Matthew's account. It's the same as Mark's. Mark's is a shorter account, Matthew's the longer account. But, but here's what is said He answered them, Have you not read from the beginning? He who created. Male and female made them male and female, and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not one man separate. They said to him, Well, why did Moses command him, verse 7, to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Jesus speaking, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits what? Adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case with his wife, it's better not to marry. Bingo. You got it. But he said to them, not everyone can receive the saying, but only those to whom it is given. Verse 12, for there are eunuchs who have not been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of kingdom. Let the one who's able to receive this, receive this. Let me give you a quick summary as we move on. Jesus says that divorce comes because of our hardness of heart. That's not his plan, but he gives it to us. And it seems to be very clear here that divorce is permitted, as it was in Deuteronomy, in a case of sexual immorality in case of perpetual sexual immorality. One act necessarily does not obligate one to seek that. And it seems to imply a permission to remarry, though it's not clearly stated. And that's a whole other topic to talk about, but it seems to imply those things. Jesus says this is the Word of God. All right, you ready to go to the next passage? You got your books ready? Go to Luke chapter 16 and verse 18. Amy, we're going to skip that next slide. Luke's chapter 16 and verse 18. I want you to see what Luke's account of Jesus says. Two books down, Luke chapter 16 and verse 18. I will read it a couple times as you catch up. This is Matthew's account, Mark's account, and now it's boiled down to one sentence. Luke records Jesus saying, Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a divorced woman from her husband commits adultery. So it's pretty clear, isn't it? Do you see the line of thinking that's coming? God is the same in the Old Testament as He is in the New, but this is what we have: Luke sixteen eighteen, a summary of both accounts. Two more passages, and I promise we will, we will get to the good, this is all good stuff, but get to the application. Romans chapter 7. Go two, three more books to the right, Romans chapter 7. And I'll show you a very easy passage that everyone agrees on in this issue. Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. And I'll read as you catch up, as you do. If you're on your iPhone, you've been there like five years ago and took a time machine back, I'm sure. But Romans chapter 7, or Paul writing, Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband's alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and she can marry another man, and she is not an adulteress. Look, I, I love this about this, the Word of God. One of the surest signs of growth and grace will be seen is when our sin impacts other people. But in this case, what we are seeing here is that the death of the spouse is not by something that someone did. It's a legitimate thing, that they can remarry in the Lord only. If you are a widow or a widower here today, you are completely able to remarry, if that be God's will for you, in the Lord only. But that is something that's given to us, and all sides of this debate agree on that topic. All right, last one, and I promise you, we will go on from there. You ready? Go to First Corinthians, one book over, First Corinthians chapter 7. And we will get to the application after this. You all are troopers. Thank you for hanging in. But I asked, uh, I asked, and Nelson, you're not part of this group on Facebook. But I asked several pastors. I said, "Have you ever taught your church as you're turning First Corinthians by some time here? Have you ever taught your church on divorce and just go check by check by check?" They said we only a couple had raised their hands and said we did that. So I hope today you can walk away at least with saying we went over the verses. We know what they are. Might not agree with them all. We should. But here it is, the unadulterated Word of God. 1 Corinthians 7, chapter, verse 7, as we go. And hear God's Word this morning. And Paul writing, he says, I wish all were as I am. I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one kind to another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Here's, the, here's that takeaway. If you are single and you feel like you can walk a life of purity in a, in, a, in a sexual manner before the Lord, celibate as you are, then you walk that life. But if you burn for the opposite sex, you need to get married, right? That's what the Bible very clearly says. And if you go to verse 10, To the married... I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. The husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother, verse 12, has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But, verse 15, if your unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Three quick things about this, and we'll get to our application, and you're seeing those on the screen now. Paul affirms the positive nature of being a single. I remember I was at Tasso's at Warnell and 79th Street, somewhere down there, in in Waldo in 2006. And I looked John Mark Clifton, Me, you know John Mark Clifton, in the eyes. I said, John Mark, I am destined to be single for the rest of my life. And he just laughed at me. And praise God he did because I had a beautiful wife and kids that came out of this. That may be a gift for some of you, but for most of us, I'd say the majority of us, that's not the case. Paul says it's better to marry than to burn with lust. And God's desire for troubled marriages is always reconciliation. Amen? There is here a desertion by an unbelieving spouse. And this seems to be uh, something in verses, uh, you read that in verses 11 through 16, that if, if you're a Christian and you're living the Christian life and your spouse just says, oh man I'm out of here and on account of your faith, not your stupidity but your faith that they say I want nothing to do with this Christian thing and you try and reconcile, Paul says it's better to live under peace and let them go and you're free to remarry in the Lord desertion by an unbelieving spouse it seems permits divorce and grants permission for remarriage that's debatable but that is the classic and has been since the Westminster confession of the 1600's and so on and so forth so what does this mean for us? What does this mean for your family member who's struggling through divorce? What does this mean if you're on that issue yourself, or if you've come out of a divorce, or you're, you're a single person or a young person, you say, wow, this marriage thing's really hard. Yes, 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 and yes. It is. Let me give you some takeaway from these things. I promise I'll go slow if you're taking notes. The basic takeaways we see from these passages, second point, is our goal with this issue must be to be biblical and not emotional emotional because you know as well as I do one time you love your spouse and something happens another time you say oh that's it I'm done we should emphasize our goal should be to emphasize prevention and not be reactionary the latter of being reactionary is difficult especially those who experience some kind of pain secondly God's intent is for one man and one woman for a lifetime we know this I don't care what the Supreme Court did in June, late June of 2015 when we first came. Marriage is between one man and one woman, and there's nothing else that God recognizes as being holy or divine within his providence. Thirdly, God hates divorce. That's a very basic takeaway. There's, it's very, very clear from the passage. Malachi 2 especially nails that home. God hates divorce. Let me give you a few more, and I promise there will be a few more because you need to hear these. Number four, basic takeaway from all those Bible texts, God's desire is that troubled marriages would be reconciled, that you don't just throw in the towel necessarily. Look, if you are and we'll get here later, but if you're in an abusive situation, you need to seek help with that. We are never ladies, guys, you should never put your body in a place where you are you are literally at the point of death just because that yes, honor your marriage, but there's also a point where you may need to be separated for a time for the sake of your own health. Does that make sense? Should never encourage people to enter at least in the sense of a normal marriage those who are under abuse but that abuse may not be predicated in the sense that that is grounds for divorce biblically i hope you see that line but divorce number five may be biblical in at least a couple cases these are very clear from jesus's words and the words of first corinthians that sexual immorality Divorce or remarriage is not sanctioned for reasons other than sexual immorality or desertion by an unbeliever. Some would say it's better to stay married than to commit sexual immorality or be unduly burdened or oppressed in a single state. But it's clear that God would encourage a single person that sometimes it is better. But hear me very clearly. There are marriages that you know about that have separated early on these issues simply because it was more convenient for the pocketbook than it was to be holy before the Lord. Be careful. This is not an easy out card. Oh, Jesus said if if he cheats on me, I can get out of that marriage. Friends, I hope you have more stock in your marriage than just simply one time. We are all sinners. That doesn't mean that that person should not be brought under church discipline. That doesn't mean that person has lost credibility. But don't throw out your marriage just because of one instance. You work it out to the best you can until you can. And if you come to me and say, Pastor, should I get a divorce we're going to have to have a long, long conversation because it's a, more than just a simple yes or a no. What does this mean? Let me conclude with this. And I, I told you, it's a very different message than usual, but I want to bring this back. If you'll turn back to Mark chapter 10, I want to bring this back to where we are with Jesus' words here. Where we are with Jesus' words. Jesus is speaking to a crowd. He's headed to the cross. You, these next year that we're studying is the last four months of Jesus' life. It's like going from November to March or April. This is it. He's headed in. He's going for the end goal. And you notice, before we conclude this more, you notice there in verse 2 that he, he, they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Do you remember back in February that John the Baptist lost his head for what very reason? Because he called out Herod. Do you remember this? He said, Herod, you're living in sin. You cannot marry your brother's wife. Stop that. And he got thrown in jail. And, his, you know, and Herodias' daughter did this dance. And she said, Herod, being a drunken stupid, said, what do you want? And, and Herod said, or Herod's wife said, tell him you want John the Baptist. All because he stood on marriage, as the Bible said. So they come to trap him. And what do we learn from all these instances and what do we learn from Jesus? Let me state it again. Number one, marriage is a gift and a work that God a gift that God receives its meaning and significance from God. Marriage is not good just because the culture says it is. Marriage is good because God says it is, Amen. Marriage is good because God defines it. I don't care what seven justices on the Supreme Court say. Marriage is very clearly defined. One man, one woman for life. That is what we know doesn't mean, and if you, it, we've, we've spoken on this. You can go back on our website, Tower View KC. We've spoken about different things, and we we'll, might put that out on an email about how to talk with those in, in same-sex marriages. It doesn't mean that we hate people. It doesn't mean that we don't love people. We should love all people. Amen? These doors should be open to all who come. But as Christians, we hold that line because the Bible holds that line. And if you slip in this, what else do you slip in? Well, maybe Jesus isn't the only way. You see the slippery slope as you go, but marriage gets its significance from God alone. And that's what Jesus says there in verse 3. He tells them that they, that they have lost that because they've been hard of heart. they lost that meaning and significance. And that is number two, as you see up there, that, that marriage is exclusively heterosexual and unique among all human relationships. Friends, our church, I pray our church never bends backwards on that. If someone were to come and knock on our office door and, and being of the same sex and say, I'd like you to marry us with respect, I would say no, even if it means my name would be drugged through the mud publicly for that. We stand on the word of God unapologetically. Amen? And we do that not to be a stick in the mud, not to be a narrow-minded, bigoted, Southern Baptist preacher who likes to pound the pulpit. We do it because God says this is what he expects of us. Thirdly, God's plan from the beginning is that marriage would be permanent and indissolvable. Look at Mark chapter 10 verse 9. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. That's what we know. If you walk into marriage and can separate out of it just as easy as you can a boyfriend or girlfriend, then you have the wrong conception of what marriage is. we have the wrong conception. Jesus acknowledges fourthly that because we live in a fallen world, divorce will occur. Divorce will occur. That's very straightforward in verses 3 and 4. He tells us that. We'll go to the next one. I know some of you are taking notes. We'll get all this out to you, I promise. But to divorce one's mate and remarry another without biblical cause is cause for sin of adultery. If you just decide that you don't like, I don't know, you don't like the car that your wife drives... And you told her if she would buy this car, you would stay in the marriage, and you leave because you don't like that cause, sir. That is, that is absolutely wrong to get out of marriage for. That is called the sin of adultery. If you leave for, for preferential things, and it's not within the, the long standing things of sexual morality or desertion by an unbeliever, you have no grounds to remarry whatsoever whatsoever. It doesn't matter if you go, well I'm going to talk to this pastor and if he, I don't like him and this happens a lot in the office. I'm going to go talk to that pastor and, and do, well they'll marry me why won't you? You're just an old fuddy-duddy. You don't like me, do you? Well I do like you but I like you enough to tell you the truth. We love you. Where the sin of adultery and or divorce is taken place, forgiveness is possible and available to those who repent and confess their sin. And Amy will put that up. 1 John 1.9, do you know that verse? If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you from 98.9% of your sin. Nope. From all your sin. Amen. That's what we know. God is so good. And I'm going to go to another one. I'm, I'm chucking through these quickly. Uh, Tina's up here like those tonographers in a courtroom. She's going she's going to town here. I promise we'll get these out. But I want to get to this. If we are in an unbiblical marriage, we should not to attempt to get out of it. You know, There's that classic example that they bring you at the seminary level and thank God for our seminaries. You pray for Midwestern. Uh, it, thousands of students are going there now. If you hadn't heard that, God is blessing that seminary. Socks off. Praise God for that. We have several in our church that are part of that. But if you're in an unbiblical marriage and you hear this today, this is not grounds for you to go out and say, well, I, I shouldn't have married you in the first place. That was wrong. I'm just going to divorce you. Two wrongs don't make a right, do they? Be very careful. So what do you do if you're a pastor and you come in, you know there's a couple who married unfaithfully to each other and it's been 30, 40 years. What do you do? You love them where they are. You counsel them through that grief. You teach people where they are. And that's why we don't go up to people and say, you shouldn't have married that person in the first place. How dare you? That's, listen, maybe so. But can God still use broken people? Amen? Yes. You're one of them. I'm one of them. Our church is one of those. But just because you're in an unbiblical marriage now you stay faithful to the wife or the husband, whatever it is, vice versa there till God calls you home brother or sister. and if you have grief with that you take it to the Lord but praise God he gives us grace and in the church we should emphasize the value and dignity of marriage for those who are there and eliminate the shame and stigma. It's tough being a divorced person in a married context didn't it i remember being a single and it was tough every grandma had a granddaughter who ever wanted to you know just you don't you just need to bury my granddaughter you know that was hard enough on the single side if you've been divorced you know it's hard you know it's tough and what i want to conclude with and this is a big survey very very easily and amy's going to put this up two things take this to the bank we should hate divorce because god does right amen but we should love divorced people because God does. Amen? How does that work? How do, you, how, do you, how do you do that? How do you say, stick out your marriage, but love these people who are in unbiblical marriages? You do it because that's what God has done with you. That is the gospel, folks. God had told you to not sin, and guess what? You were born into sin, and when you became a toddler, you definitely sinned, Right? And when you got a hold of those things, you got a hold of more things. And you kept sinning and sinning and sinning, and then you got saved, and you kept sinning and sinning and sinning, and yet God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He loved you where you were, but he didn't keep you there. He kept you moving forward in grace, because he who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of redemption. Church, I pray, if you're here today and you've been divorced, I pray that you feel love in this church. Not a stigma, because you know what? Choices have been made, real choices. But we've made real choices and God still loves us. It doesn't lessen the sin. It doesn't lessen God's commands. If we hold these two things tightly, we are doing what the Bible tells us to do and bearing one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. It's tough. So what does this mean for for us as a church? I pray that we live out these two things you see up on the screen. And if you're here and you're divorced and you're struggling Talk to Pastor Nelson and myself. We'd love to sit down with you as best we can and work with you. I've only been married eight going on nine years. I don't have a ton of life experience, but we have the Bible. Nelson's been married, well, I won't say how long because in here, so that's all right. But we have people in this church who love you and care for you. We have couples who have been married. I look at Donna and Shirley, 60 years. Lorna Masel, 61, 62. Uh, happy birthday, Masel, by the way. All these things. If you're here today and you're feeling a weight of just like the the scarlet letter lady felt, if you know that story from the old Puritan days, don't feel that way. Bring it to the cross. Take it to Christ. Let Him heal you and let the body of Christ love you where you are. And may that be so with whatever you bring to Him. Will you pray with me as we close out today? Thank you. Father God, this is a, indeed a very tough topic, and as I often do, probably bit off more than I could chew in one sermon. But Lord, I pray as we got the fire hydrant approach to a very long-standing issue, Lord, one thing is clear, that you have said what marriage is to be, what marriage is to be like, how things are to come to be. But Lord, at the same time, there are real situations that, Lord, you have given us real advice about. Give us wisdom here. Father, help us to, uh, to love the, 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 the covenant of marriage, Lord, as it is. One woman, one man until such a time, Father. But at the same time, may we have great grace for those who have been in and are in situations that may not be the, to the letter of the law, Lord. But may we encourage, may we grow, may we exhort, may we rebuke at times if necessary. But may it be all be done, as 1 Peter 3.15 says, with gentleness with patience, and with respect, Father, I pray as we preach the gospel that whether one is gay, unisex, gender, metro, whatever else designation out there identifies as an animal and is really huge, whatever, Lord, we thank you that in Jesus Christ there is nobody too far, the drunkard, the sinner, the worrier, that all these sins we bring to you, Lord, that you are enough, and at the cross you said it is finished, and there is no wise one who you will cast out to those who repent and believe the gospel father we are evidences of that today help us to walk in this love this morning father we thank you for your word can't say i would have preached on this any other way except if this had been not through your word thank you for the gospel of mark thank you for this dear sweet church give us great grace now greater grace than we deserve but father all the grace that we need we pray this in jesus name and god's people said amen